everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. I'm excited to bring you an interview today for my new soul sister. Erica Allison is someone I just met, but again, I can't believe how many similarities we have, which I'm starting to realize is more often than not the case with people on here, but it's beautiful to hear people's stories of transformation and how growing up in Christian tradition can be hurtful and damaging, especially for queer folks, but then to hear the ways that that's forced us into an awakening earlier than many people. After the recording, Alice and I were just chatting and she said something really profound that those of us who either had to go through conversion therapy or other forms of spiritual frustrations <laughs> um, were forced into an awakening earlier than most. And the, the rest of the world is going through that right now with COVID. And so we need to rise up and share the wisdom, the guidance of how to walk through a transformational experience. And I can't wait for you to hear the nuggets of wisdom that Allison has to share with us today. I want to give a, a little disclaimer, as you might have already heard in my intro here, there is some talk of conversion therapy and spiritual abuse. And I just want to make sure that that trigger warning is out there. And I apologize for episodes in the past where sensitive topics were raised and I didn't give you the warning that you needed. And I will pay attention more now to offer that because I want this to be a safe space where everyone can come and listen and learn and be held. So without further ado, here's my interview. Erica Allison, it's so great to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to know, what is the nature of your coming out story that you want to share with us today? Yeah, totally. So um, I, I wanted to, I, I talked about this in advance to caveat it because my story doesn't have, like it doesn't start with a really happy, warm, fuzzy coming out experience, but I'm just going to say at the front, it ends good. It ends well. So please hang, hang in here while you're listening to the story because it has a happy ending, but I do feel like I want to share the reality of what it was for me because it might help somebody out there who doesn't have it have the the rainbow carpet laid out before them when they when they tell somebody um, that they are gay. So uh, my story is um, this happened now over 20 years ago. Um, I was in high school in Texas 
And I knew I was gay because people around me, um, uh, I was on, I was an athlete, I was on sports teams and it became pretty clear to me as I got into high school that like, wait a minute, I like the players on my team a lot more than I like the other people <laughs> that are not on my team. And thankfully I was in Texas. So um, what was around me was not a lot of gay role models. In fact, any gay role models that I knew, especially like coaches or something, they were all very closeted and they had their quote, roommate at home but there was no talk about anything beyond that and nobody nobody discussed it and we all went to church and it was like that was the environment that I grew up in and so when myself and a few of my friends all kind of realized that we all liked girls we all were kind of like ah what are we going to do because it's pretty clear that this isn't going to go over well if we let the adults know and so there was like a period of years from my sophomore year to my senior year where um, there was a lot of just closeted stuff like we would sneak away um, we would all say we were spending the night at other people's houses and we would then sneak out to Dallas um, with, where there's like one there at the time was one gay street in Dallas. It was called Cedar Springs. And we would all sneak out there together as if we were spending the night at each other's houses and like get our fix of the gay culture, um, which felt so good and felt like so welcoming and homecoming and like seeing girls holding hands with each other and boys holding hands with each other. I was like, oh okay, I'm normal. They're like other people in the world are like me. And then we'd come back home to our little conservative suburb and it wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't see any of that represented. So it was nice to have that balance. Um, but the, the, our friends, we all kind of decided like we need, it's probably smart if we keep this hidden, this isn't going to go over well. So we'd be listening to like Melissa Etheridge and our CD player, our Walkmans at the time we had CD players. And we would, <laughs> if anybody asked like, oh, what are you listening to? We'd say, oh, it's uh, Lannis Morissette. Or like we'd make up something that was not like such an obvious gay giveaway. But so all of that, like I was doing so good being in the closet for a while and keeping it down low and only my friends knew. Um, but then the problem was my parents found on my computer some uh, like places I had been in chat rooms. I was back when chat rooms were a thing. I had been <laughs> in some chat rooms and I had been like Googling things like Ellen and other stuff like that. And so they finally, they sat me down, they called me in, it was in the kitchen and they sat me down to the kitchen table and they're like, we need to ask you a question are you a homosexual? And I, I was like a little bit panicked. I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna go. Like in my dream scenario, I would love to say yes and be honest and like have their love and support, but I couldn't quite get a read on them if they were gonna mm. be in favor of this or if they were gonna freak out about this. And so I kind of like paused a second and my, and my, um, my dad jumped in and he was like, you know, if we are, if you are, we need to talk about it so that, you know, we can, we can work with this together. He said, I don't remember the exact words, but something that felt like a little bit opening, like, Hey, if you are, we just need to talk about this. And then my mom like swooped in before I could answer. And she was like, Rick, what are you talking about? If she is, we're sending her out to, we're sending her off to visit, live with aunt Marcy to get her out of these bad influences. And I was like, okay, note to self, not approved. <laughs> hmm. um, and so I did like in my own self-protection in that moment, I basically chickened out and I said, I don't know. I'm confused. I'm just, I'm questioning. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling with this. And I think because I wasn't able in that moment to give a firm, like, this is who I am and I love myself for it. Um, I, it opened the door for my family to quote, help me get less confused on this topic. And mm -hmm. so the first destination was we went to the church to talk to the pastor about my questioning, my, my uncertainty about this and to get me some help. And, uh, and so this, what this did for me was, you know, the church of course didn't approve. The pastor made it very clear that 
I'm outside of the bounds of God's um, plan for my life and God's love for my life, and that I really needed to um, not do this. This is not what God had intended for me. And that they knew of a place that could help me with some counseling to get um, to be able to like overcome this quote sin that had had a grip on me. And it, it was really strange for me because in this moment, it was like I went from being a well-loved, popular, um, you know, that's super popular, but like at least liked kid, especially liked by adults. Like I was the kid who was the good kid and like did all the things right. Um, <laughs> and so all of a sudden, without changing anything, I'm now like, oh, Erica, we have to, we have to help her. She, Satan has a grip on her. And, and like overnight, I was now like, quote, the bad kid without doing anything wrong or different. And so that was kind of crushing for me. And I went to, I went willingly into this conversion therapy thing because I really wanted everybody's approval. I didn't like feeling disapproved of. It felt awful to me to have people, especially adults around me, thinking I was, there was something wrong with me or I was wrong. So I went to this, uh, I went to this counseling experience that was very much conversion therapy. And there was a group component to it where we all kind of, uh, as a, as a group, we all sang these songs about how, you know, our chains are free and our bondage is lifted and we don't, we don't have to be like Jesus can save us from this path. And then we had these one-on-one -on -one counseling experiences where uh, people like the therapist that I worked with, basically the, the technique was find a place that I was suffering and use that as, as, um, as justification for why I'm doing the wrong thing in my life. Like, so if I'm sad, like find the place where Erica is sad. And then let's say like, well, if you weren't living this sinful lifestyle, you wouldn't be sad right now. That wouldn't be happening to you. You wouldn't be angry or upset. And so like very quickly, I learned any place that I have vulnerability, I better hide that because vulnerability equals a path in for them to tell me that who I am is flawed or wrong. Hmm. Wow. And so that's, that's kind of, that's really the way it all started. That was the coming out part of the story. And um, it really say, I, I, I guess the ending to that little portion of the story is just that I did accept, like I went with it. I decided, okay, I'm going to do what they want me to do. I'm going to do what quote God wants me to do. I believed what they were saying at the time. And I, I decided to try to go off to college as a straight person. I was going to be straight in college. That was my goal. <laughs> and so this little part of the story, the high school part of the coming out part of the story is that I went off to college determined to, I broke up with my girlfriend. I was determined to be straight in college. And, um, you know, part two of the story changes, obviously, but that's part one. <laughs> wow. How long was that counseling experience? Um, I was only in that because I was, you know, I, I was very quick to want to get the approval. I was only in that for a few months, uh, maybe mm -hmm. two or three months before I went off to college and said, okay, you win. I'll do what you want. I'll, I'll go along with this thing and try to be straight. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, it's not worth it for me. Like I, I actually, I'll, I'll admit this because it's, it still breaks my heart a little bit. At the time I said to myself and to my parents, with everything Jesus has done for me, this is the least I can do for Jesus. Basically like Jesus gave his life for me, mm -hmm. what I was taught at that time. Therefore, I will give my life in a sense for Jesus. It was like quid pro quo. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful to that today I have a different understanding of spirituality and, and um, you know, religion. And I don't believe that that is what is required of me anymore. But at the time I absolutely did and was willing to make that sacrifice. And that's what I was told I needed to do to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's profound though. Jesus gave his life for me. So I will just like fold up my life and not live yeah. it. 
how I feel. Make, make that sacrifice. And I said that through like tears streaming down my face because it just, it was such a, there was such a, just tension inside of me when I was saying that, like it didn't even feel right. It felt like I really was giving up my life to, yeah. to, do, to do what they wanted. And I thought that's what they had told me I had to do in order to, you know. And they probably took the tears as like, oh, she's having this really moving experience. Right, right. I mean, nobody was interested in what conflict I was feeling inside. Nobody asked me no. like, you know, what is this like for you to have these feelings or nobody wanted to validate anything other than their path of, of what was right. And if I had any feelings or experiences out of that bounds, they didn't want to talk about that. They wanted to bring me back into bounds. Mm -hmm. If a kid was in that, situation now like there still are places that are doing conversion therapy like what what advice would you have for them yeah I, and not only i mean i would even say any experience where people around you who are maybe have more quote authority than you or are influences over your life don't accept you like this this advice would apply to any of those people even if it's not as severe as like the church trying to program you differently um, mm -hmm. my advice would be that what you, what you feel inside, like your inner compass is the, it's the most powerful asset you have as a person. Mm -hmm. And there's intuition in there and there's wisdom in there and there's truth in there. And no matter how much somebody on the outside tries to tell you that you're wrong or that, you know, you can't trust that of yourself. Like that was, that was so harmful for me to stop trusting myself. I stopped trusting me and I trusted them more. I gave them the power of knowing more about what's right for me than I knew about myself. So my advice would be get quiet, go somewhere where all that noise is, is out from you and just go inside of yourself and listen deeply to you and your heart and your truth and your wisdom and your intuition, because we all have it and it's, it's there and it is the authority, not mm -hmm. those other people. That's the authority that, to listen to. Yeah. And we spend so much of our lives not listening to that and having authorities tell us not to listen to it. And we don't really have that much experience of it. Yeah. Uh, I have an offering called the superpowers discovery session and nice. it helps people get clear on like their human design, their gene keys, like where in your body is your intelligence center of like what really knows. And so for me, it's my gut and my gut mm. says, uh-huh or uh-uh, those are the only things I have to listen to now. And yes. that's just like cleared things up so much for me. So now anytime I have a decision I have to make, I just listen in, is it uh-huh or uh-uh? And it's just like oh, so yes. much clearer that way. And some people feel that actually as a sensation and you can do a little exercise with yourself where you can ask your body, like, what is my yes and what is my no? Mm -hmm. And you can do it like in, in energy psychology, they talk about doing it with like leaning. You can stand mm -hmm. up, you can close your eyes and you can say, body, show me a yes. And you can kind of feel your body. Like, are you leaning a little bit forward? Are you leaning a little bit back? Like, what does your body do when it gives you a yes? Mm -hmm. And then you can do the same, like body, show me my no. And that can sometimes like, if you have an active mind, like I sometimes suffer from my mind getting a little bit crazy and my mind can convince me that my gut is saying yeah. something it's not saying. Totally. <laughs> Yeah. And so sometimes I have to use like some of these body cues of like, okay, body, you have to tell me because I've got myself all twisted around because of my confusing mind right now. Totally. So if that's helpful for anybody, uh, I, I totally agree with you, Nancy, that knowing how to tap into what is your signal of clarity for, for you and for yes or no is huge. It's, mm -hmm. and nobody's going to tell you, like, nobody's going to tell you 
that you have to be the authority of your own life and that you are the authority of your own life. So many people want to take that responsibility off of you as if they're quote helping you. And that was the thing. Like I, I always tell people this, my family didn't mean to harm me. My church didn't mean to harm me. They all thought they were helping me and they all Mm -hmm. thought they knew better for me than I knew for myself. And I was willing to trust that they must because they're older than me and they're more experienced than me. And maybe they're even more religious than me. And I've now switched that around to say that I, I have to be the one who takes control, takes charge and takes control of my own life because this is my life to live. It's no, nobody else is living my life. They're living theirs and they can think they know what's right for me, but I'm the only one living mine. And that's why your superpower discovery tools are so awesome because knowing like what are your unique superpowers and what is the path you're actually on in this Mm -hmm. life uh, just gives you more confidence to say no I'm clear I know what I'm doing you get to make your decisions about what you're doing in your life but you don't get to make them about my life Mm -hmm. and you're right like that's such a hard thing about particularly evangelical Christianity is that it's all about letting go of your power and giving the pastor the power or giving God the power like not trusting that God is within us. And right. We have that deep wisdom within us. Right. And that's sacrilegious. <laughs> but right. It's like, no, that's actually really beautiful. And it really helped me to find that there was a middle way. Like it didn't have to be all or nothing. Like I didn't have to be totally evangelical and sacrifice who I am. And I didn't have to either, I didn't have to go the other way, which would be like throw out all of spirituality and religion because. Mm-hmm. It didn't work for me. I was able to find this place in the middle where I could say, I actually think there's possibly a bigger version of spirituality that is big enough to hold a Mm. concept of God different than that small concept of God that they, that they taught me that they understood. And when I found that place, um, then like you said, God was within me. It was all around me. It was, um, it wasn't a gender. It was a, it was an energy and it was something that was divine intelligence. And that I was a participant in that divine intelligence, which was mm-hmm. so different than feeling like it was outside of me trying to either control or judge or something else. Me, I was like a co-creator and still am a co-creator of all of this stuff. Hmm. Okay. Well, tell us chapter two, what, Yeah. So chapter two is thankfully where I went to college was Austin, Texas. I went to the University of Texas at Austin and it was the first time in my life I was walking down the street and I saw a religious church with a gay flag outside. And now today that's not so weird because I see that at a lot of places, but because I had come from a more um, conservative suburb of Dallas, this was literally the first time I had seen that. And I was aghast. I was like, how, Hmm. how I was just told that I had to make this gut-wrenching sacrificial decision of my life or or religion. And um, this is telling me that these can coexist. How is that possible? And what's interesting is I went in to talk to the pastor of the church that had that flag outside. And it's, I didn't, again, I didn't get the warm fuzzy that I was hoping for. It's not like the pastor said, it's all good. We love, we love gay people. The pastor basically just said, well, we don't really know. It's confusing. Some people believe this, some people believe that, and it's gray. It's a gray area. And it was, that was really the moment that clicked for me. I was like, okay, nobody, these people don't have it more figured out. Here I was assuming that they all had it more figured out than I had it figured out. And they don't, they're, they're still trying to, nobody speaks for God. Like they don't have a clearer direct message of God's truth than I have. And it was just enough there was enough muddiness there in the answer of that pastor for me to say, 
if they don't know, I'm going to have to get my own truth. Like I'm going to have to go within and find the truth that works for me because I have just as much access to truth as they have to truth. And mm -hmm. so literally in that moment, now I feel like my real coming out happened. Like now mm -hmm. I decided, okay, I've made peace with this whole either or religious gay conflict. I'm good. I, I don't have to sacrifice any kind of re relationship with source to be who I am. I can coexist. Now let's explore this gay thing. And that was really when um, I started, I found, you know, where do the lesbians hang out? And I cut my hair super dykey and I, um, I changed my friend group instantly to who I would normally be drawn to hanging out with. And I had the best four years in college because <laughs> I was now free to just explore this part of myself. And um, luckily I was in a town where there was a lot of, there was like a whole gay subculture in Austin, Texas. So uh, it really, that was where I feel like my coming out happened. And I found adults who supported me, which was huge. Like some, I found some mentors who were part of the LGBT community who were like, you know, like in, in that time they were probably 50 year old women. <laughs> and now I'm getting close to that. But at the time <laughs> they were like, you know, they were like, wow, these people have it figured out. Here are two women who are at the time you couldn't be married, but the equivalent, they were life partners with each other and they weren't hiding it. And they were just uh, happy grown up adults. And so there's hope for me to be a ho happy grown up adult and be who I am. And it was really like finding that acceptance from um, just having it more normalized, like seeing again, like I saw in Dallas, seeing people holding hands with each other from the same gender or um, just like just seeing more things helped normalize the experience for me and made me feel like I was a part of something that was totally awesome and great and normal and just as viable as any other path. Mm hmm. That's yeah. so awesome. And I never turned back from there. I mean, I, I wish I could say that the family part of the story was as awesome. Like they didn't, they didn't have the same awakening that I had at the same time. They were still stuck in their views. And so we had a little bit of battling for years. Like when they saw that I wasn't going to turn back from this, uh, that it wasn't a phase because they were really mm -hmm. hoping it was a phase. Um, but there was, we had a few years there where my family was really, they kept trying to send me books to change me or um, <laughs> just like letters telling me that they were like, all these prayer warriors were praying for me. But at, at this point, it mattered less because I just saw them as a group of people who were trying to figure things out, as opposed to a group of people who could determine the fate of my soul. <laughs> mm. So I was free to be me and explore. And there was enough distance between me and that group that I didn't have to deal with them every day. And yeah, yeah. Where are they at now? So now, 20 years later, we have come a very long way. Um, I think it's, you know, time does a lot. Time heals a lot of wounds. And it's become more mainstream and normalized, even in the religious context now. Like, you do have a lot more open and affirming churches. And so my parents are still very much evangelical Christians. Um, however, they seem to have not made this issue be the cornerstone issue of their faith. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we kind of, I mean, they know I have a partner and uh, we have two teenage kids and um, my family knows like we all hang out together, we go visit them. And so there's a much more welcoming embracing now. Um, my parents adore Tony and they'll, they'll um, you know, they'll talk, we, we have, we play game night together on Zoom there in Texas and we're up here. And um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's really, we've done a huge 180 from where we were 20 years ago. And I think it really, time Time was huge. It's just like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm now almost a 40 year old woman. I think my family is kind of over the fact that they're going to have any say in 
control of my life. And now they just need to basically accept who I am if they want me in their life or not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like family members, close friends, like have a, a coming out of their own that they have to go through as well. When any of us come out, there is that kind of ripple effect of coming outs that have to happen, particularly, I think, people in the church where there's that stigmatization that's extra strong and we got to have grace for our family. It's so true. I mean, even to this day, you know, my sister and I, my sister and I can talk a little bit more deeply about this than I can with my parents, but my sister will even say, you know, I, I have convictions that I don't know what to do with. And, Mm -hmm. and we, we just kind of have agreed to love each other despite those differences. And it's, it's not, I mean, in a dream world, I would love to be completely approved of and accepted and felt like all of me is, is approved, but I've stopped needing to feel their approval for me to approve of myself. And that was really where I found my liberation was just knowing that not everyone is going to approve of me. And it might even be people who are really close to me. They might not approve of all of me. And I have to be okay with that because I spent many years of my life where I wasn't and I kept trying to earn their approval. And it really like, I actually want to say a bit about this because I, I, what it did was it made me into kind of a perfectionist in a lot of ways. Like I got, I, I tried to excel in areas to win approval. And so like I over, um, in, I, like I overdeveloped my mental capacity at the sacrifice of my emotional capacities, because those were areas where I could like excel and be approved of. And mm. it was, it drove me for a long time in my life. And it, it didn't lead me into any happy spaces. It led me to being really hard on myself and really perfectionistic about myself and trying to do things that, um, you know, were basically superhuman, like to, to your word earlier, in order to win approval when the reality was I was, it was a false hope. I was looking for something that even if I got approval for being smart or being a good athlete or being successful at work, any of these things, I was never going to get that approval that I was still deeply wanting. And yet I was still going, I was still thinking that was how I was going to get it. And it just, it was a, it just made me crazy for a while. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard that a lot by Mm -hmm. different people I've worked with as well of just that people pleasing is so Mm -hmm. strong. So strong. Yeah. And it shows up in other parts of my life. Like I really have struggled or for a long period struggled in relationships because I was using these same patterns. Like I was using people pleasing patterns or um, trying to be what that person would approve of because I still had this part in me that was wanting approval. And um, that was never a recipe for a long-term relationship success because Mm -hmm. if I'm not who I am and voicing my needs and my, um, you know, whatever my desires because I'm trying to people please at some point I burned out of those relationships because it was too far away from who, who I was and what I needed. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome that? It was really by going within and healing some of this stuff, like having some of these moments where I stopped looking outside of myself to fill that hole. Like I, I, I there's a term called serial monogamy, which is like where you are committed to one person, but you are committed to them for a period of time and then you kind of leave them and jump to another relationship where now you're committed to that relationship, but you jump onto the next one. And I was finding myself in a pattern of being like a serial monogamist. And it, I, I meant well, like I really did want these relationships to work out, but it was because I kept needing them to fill this need in myself that mm-hmm. I couldn't, like there's no way another person's ever going to fill a hole that's in me. 
Like I'm the only one who can do that. That's something I have to heal in my own. And when I would put that on other people and other relationships to fill in me, at some point they let me down because they can't fill my hole. That's my stuff. And, um, and so when they would let me down, my mental game would just say, oh, well, clearly they're not the right person. I need to keep looking for the right person who can fill that hole. And what really broke this pattern for me was realizing through a broken heart, I had to have a broken heart for this to happen. Uh, a relationship that I really thought was the one didn't work out and mm -hmm. I didn't know what to do. And now this hole was gaping open and no one was filling it. And I had to learn how to fill it for myself. And that was the biggest gift I was ever given. And it broke this pattern because I realized like, whoa, wait a minute. This is, I'm the only one who can fill this. This is a very unique hole. It's like my shape hole. It's a God shape hole, however you want to word it. Um, it's unique to me. And there's no other person. There's nothing from the outside, not a person, not a hobby, not anything, not a religion, nothing that's going to fill it. I have to do that work myself and get really comfortable with myself and get really um calm and quiet being with myself I have to learn to love myself basically is what it came down to mm -hmm. not just needing others to love me love me love me I had to do that work to love me and fill that hole of love in myself so that then I could enter into a relationship after that without a gaping hole that I was still trying to fill with a filled love spot so that I could then just be let other people be who they were and I could be who I was and I didn't have that pressure of needing them to be somebody that they weren't for me Hmm. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you got to that point. Me too. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot as less painful, painful as it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a journey, but there's a lot of great practices out there that can help with that. And I don't know if anybody's ever experienced like a silent retreat, but that was one of the things that really helped me. It was like getting quiet, taking away all that external noise, because I was so quick to want to listen to the external noise. Like, oh, what does so-and-so have to say about this? Or is that person approving or not approving of me? What about that person approving or not approving? And just like getting quiet from all that and going within and listening to my own heart. Like, well, what do I need? What do I want? What is, what are my even desires? Like, what do I like? And what do I not like? And who is this person? Who, and can mm -hmm. I spend a little more time with myself getting to learn and discover who I am. And it goes back to the, the program that you offer, Nancy, where some of these tools are tools of self-discovery and self-exploration. And I think the more we learn about ourselves, the more we fall in love with ourselves. And then the more we're free to truly walk through the world from this place of like, I'm good. I'm mm -hmm. good. I've got what I need. I'm whole. And now how can I interact with others from a place of wholeness? How can I give love to others and receive love from others? Because now I'm in a place that I can give and receive that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> also, I love retreats, especially silent ones. I miss them. I used to have a pretty regular rhythm of a few a year and now being a mom and busy, busy, I miss that solitude silence. So I should get myself booked into <laughs> one soon. Yes. It's, it's hard to break away from the rhythm of life to do it, but there's something about it that when you break away and you drop into that other rhythm, when you come back from it, you can make changes in your life that uh, incorporate more of that, mm -hmm. like more of those. You can't maybe do it all the time, always, but you can bring back little nuggets that are like, okay, when I go back into my busy life, I want to make sure I at least start every day with five minutes of silence before I begin the day, like little nuggets you can bring back with mm -hmm. you. And one more thing about silent retreats, if that's an intimidating thought to people, um, one of my favorite things to do is go on a silent retreat with a group. So like mm -hmm. it's a group silent retreat. So you don't feel 
awkwardly alone, like you're out in the middle of the woods in a cabin and nobody knows who you are and you, you know, you could be eaten by a bear and nobody would know. It's not like that kind of silent retreat, although I like those two, mm -hmm. but go, going on a group silent retreat is kind of nice because you have no obligation to socialize with anybody. You have no obligation even to make eye contact with people. Like the norms are set at the beginning that you don't have to, you're there for you, but you don't feel like the aloneness that can be painful for some people in silence like silence doesn't have to equal alone silence can just be inward but not lonely you know what i mean like alone mm -hmm. but not lonely and so it's a nice way to start if you if the concept feels appealing but also a little intimidating yeah great great advice this episode was brought to you by centered life coaching we've just opened the doors for the next shift retreat it's happening February 18th to 20th, and it's a space for you to come and pay attention to what relationship in your life is ready for a shift. Maybe you just came out and your relationship with your parents is weird. Or maybe your kid just came out to you and your relationship feels stifled. Or maybe your relationship with your partner is ready for a shift. Whatever it is, shift retreat will help you get clear on what's been tripping you up in that relationship and how to move forward in a really true and beautiful way so join us so tell us what is the next chapter of your coming out story yeah so the next chapter is um just recently so again 20 years later i was starting to notice that there were still things showing up in my life that were keeping me from my happiness and my potential. And, you know, this conversion therapy thing or this kind of rejection thing that happened to me when I came out, I always thought that was not a big deal. Like, okay, it happened to me, but I'm gay, no harm, no foul. They didn't change me, it didn't work. So let me just go on about my life. And what's fascinating is I realized later in life that I, was, I still carried around some messages of like inner self-judgment, inner self-hatred, inner self-loathing um, or rejection because of those messages that were implanted to me when I was younger. And um, they were keeping me from being able to really fulfill my potential. And the way this showed up in my life, the way I knew was that um, somebody said to me, like, it seems like you have one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. Like, what's that about? Like, you're not totally launching into your life. You're, you're like holding back a little bit. Why are you holding back? And I thought about it. My first answer that came out of my mouth was, oh, well, yeah, I probably am holding back because I don't want to be judged. Like, I don't want to put myself all the way out there in the world because I don't want the judgment of putting myself all the way out there in the world. Like, I can't handle that. I had, I had enough judgment earlier in my life. I'm done with judgment. No, thank you. And his comment back to me was, fear of judgment outside of yourself is really just fear that somebody outside of you is going to say something that confirms a judgment you've been holding about yourself that you've been like trying to not listen to or protect. So like a light bulb went on for me. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You're saying that I'm actually not afraid of all those people. I'm afraid those people are going to validate an inner judgment that I'm already holding about myself and make that right. And that's terrifying. And it was so true when he said it, it I actually started crying because it rang so true that I couldn't handle somebody from the outside judging me because it might make those judgments in me true that I was holding on to, it would like validate them. And mm -hmm. I really had to explore that. I had to talk to some people about it and say like, holy cow, I'm holding on to 
pretty scary thoughts, like not all of them. I had really good thoughts about myself and I was very confident in a lot of ways. And so it kind of surprised me that I also had this other voice in me that was like, oh, well, you must be a monster. You must be a monster because only a monster would go against, would, would hurt their family so much by being gay and cause them so much pain. Only a monster would hurt their church so much. Only a monster would go against what God wants for them. Like I had, there was a part of me, even though like my wiser self was like, that's ridiculous. There was still a part of me that was that that felt that like only a monster could do that to someone or to mm. a group or to God. And I had to deal with that. And so I got some actual help. Like someone told me, OK, this was trauma, what you experienced. Like I had never thought of it as trauma. I thought of it as just a little past experience. But when I really admitted to myself and like allowed myself to take it more seriously, like, hey, maybe there are longer term wounds from this that I need help with. And I got some help from some people who specialize in kind of trauma, I guess you could say, um, something shifted for me and I was able to finally let go of the residuals. Like I had done a lot of work on it in healing work, but there were still those residuals that were still sticking with me and that would cause me to show up differently than how I really wanted to show up in the world. And so mm -hmm. chapter three was really finally dealing with the, the deepest layer of this at a level where I could say, all of those crossed wires, all of that programming in me that there was something wrong with me, how can I go deeply into my core and know that nothing is wrong with me at my core? And it took a while to get there and I needed help to get there, but I got the help I needed and I got there. And I still sometimes slip back and like a part of me, that old familiar voice will come in and will say like, Oh, but there's something wrong with you. But I have, but I now have enough tools and enough life experience to say, no, that's an old story. I don't, I don't carry that story anymore. That story is not my identity anymore. I know that I am good enough and I know that I'm loved and I know that I'm lovable. And I really have to kind of do that work to, to continue um, making sure I remember that when I tend, when I can forget. And so what happened with all this, like where this all went is I ended up writing a book. And um, this is chapter now, this is what's happening in my life right now <laughs> is I wrote a book, it's called Gay the Prey Away, <laughs> healing, healing Your Life, Love and Relationships from the Harms of LGBT Conversion Therapy. And um, this book is, it's basically some of the story I'm telling you right now in more detail. Um, and it also lays out the path that I have found worked for getting to some healing. Um, and I use the acronym rainbow to take people through the path. So rainbow, every letter of the word rainbow. Um, and of course I had to pick something super gay rainbow, um, mm -hmm. but, but, uh, every letter of the word rainbow is another step on this rainbow path. And, um, so like, just for an example, like the R in rainbow is reality check, like take an assessment of your life, like really reality check. Do you, are you still holding on to some negative images, some negative messages from earlier, like reality check. Mm -hmm. And then A is, okay, so if so, assess your life. Like, how has that shown up for you? For me, it showed up in, in the fact that my mental body became overly perfectionistic and heightened, whereas my emotional body was kind of repressed. And I was, I didn't want to be vulnerable around people because my conversion therapy experience was like vulnerability equals harm. So I did a lot of protecting of my heart. Like I needed to assess all that. That's what the A was. How can I assess that? And the eye of rainbow is, okay, now that I've assessed it, I need to integrate my parts back together. 
how do I bring those pieces back online? How do I make them in balance with each other rather than out of balance with each other? Because like Dan, Dr. Dan Siegel will say that integration is the key to healing. So that's it's integration that really, it doesn't invalidate anything that happened to you in your past, but if you can integrate those things into your life, into a place of wholeness, you can move through the world from a healed perspective. And so that's kind of our AI. And then the in is nurture your North star, which is coming back to some kind of spirituality in a way that works for you. And it might look very different than the spirituality that you grew up with that harmed you. It might end up just being something that, um, that works for you. And I, on the book, I give a lot of examples of different things to try. So you can kind of feel into what works. Um, I'm trained as an interfaith minister. So I was able to pull from um, a couple of different traditions. Like there's some Buddhist stuff in there. There's some Hindu stuff in there. Like I was able to pull from some other traditions, maybe than the one that harmed you when you grew up. And um, so that's in, and then the B is build your inner compass. And I think Nancy, this is a lot of the work that you do as well. This is like, okay, if you were given messages early on that you can't trust yourself, what are the processes and the techniques to rebuild that deep inner knowing inside of yourself and to learn to trust yourself again? Um, that's the B, build, build back your inner compass or rebuild your inner compass. And then O is open your heart. And this is for anybody. Like if you've ever had your heart hurt, the natural tendency is like, I'm going to close my heart. So that doesn't happen again. Cause that sucked. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I noticed about myself that I really was going through life with a somewhat closed up heart because of not wanting to be hurt again and still carrying around that wounding. So the O chapter is really about um, strategies to learn how to open that again and to, to be courageous enough. It's funny. The word courage is, is the root of that is heart. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, it takes courage to open your heart again. And so that, that chapter is really about how can you access your courage so that you can open up again? Because if you're not, you're, you're probably are going through life missing out on some things because your heart isn't open to receiving all that the, the world has to give you. And then finally, the W is, is, um, is work because it, it takes work to continue to stay open. Like even if you've had this awakening through the, the rainbow path or other paths where you learn about yourself and you learn about your wounds and how to overcome them, it takes work to stay on that and to keep remembering and not go back to sleep and not forget everything that you've just awoken into because there's a lot that wants to put you back in the trance of like the old stories and the work is to stay in the new stories. So that's kind of what the, the book is about and I'm super excited about it and I can't wait for, um, I hope it helps a lot of people and, and I'm, I'm thinking about having some workshops that will um, go along with that so that if people need extra help with it, like if they aren't a learn from a book kind of person, mm -hmm. that there are ways that we can go through it together and um, deepen into some of the experiences and the practices and stuff like that. It sounds so practical and like you've really given tools in it and I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, thank you. And where can people find it? Yeah, so the book is available as an ebook and in print paperback on Amazon. And you can just search on Amazon for Gay the Pray Away or um, my name. I actually come up as, as the author, Erica Allison, E-R-I-K-A-A-L-L-I-S-O-N. Either way, we'll help you find the book. And yeah, you can order it right on Amazon for now and hopefully also in local bookstores very soon. And uh, you can also find me online. Um, my, my website is rev, R-E-V, ericaallison.com. And my, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. So you can find me either of those places. Both handles are the same, RevEricaAllison.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about 
your story and now how you're helping others with their stories. Thank you. I have one more thing I love to share super quickly mm-hmm. if, you'll, if you'll let Please. me. So I, I want to be able to have a gathering for other people who are experiencing this, like to be in community. I really think community is the key to mm-hmm. normalize the experiences. Um, and so I'm going to be leading every month a, a group or a gathering, I guess you could say, called Gay the Prey. Mm-hmm. And the concept is going to be that um, we're going to come together as a group, a community of queer people virtually, it's going to be on Zoom, a community of queer people and allies are welcome too because they can be a part of this. And if you, if anybody remembers the Care Bears, like one of the (laughs) things we're going to do at Gay the Prey is we're going to connect our energy together and basically do this big rainbow energetic healing for the world. And we're going to send out like the same way the Care Bears would send out their Care Bear rainbow power. We're going to be sending out our rainbow love and energy to places in the world that are in need of this and um, kind of turn ourselves into the healers of the world, which mm-hmm. I think we are, but we're not always looked at as that. So it's a real way to shift, um, at, at least for me, it's shifting my mindset to see myself as part of the solution. Whereas for many parts of my life, I was always told I was part of the problem. So uh, it's a big shift and I hope it helps a lot of people as well. And once we send that energy out to different places in the world, we're also um, healing our, you know, sending it back to ourselves, taking the energy back on for ourselves. So. There'll be, it'll be like if a pride parade were meeting up with um, a global meditation event and the Care Bears there all together, that's what it would be. So <laughs> I got goosebumps people. when you yeah. were describing it. It sounds awesome. 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 So if you want to come to that, you can find that. Um, I'll talk about it on the Facebook and Instagram places. Um, and you can also find Gay the Prey on Instagram and, and follow along with that. And I hope to see you there because it's going to be a lot of fun where you're, where you're gayest most flamboyant stuff you want to wear and we're just going to send out our rainbow love and be part of the the healing of the planet awesome cool thanks for joining us yeah thank you so much for this beautiful show that you offer and uh and all the people that you touch through this work Mm -hmm. you're welcome Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.